Hello and welcome to Turner Years. I'm your host Paul Barrow and I'm here with the JJ Young to my horseman, the Gary Hart to my El Perez. This is Dave Evans. Hey Dave, how are you doing? I'm good mate, I'm good. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> I'm, not sure how, I'm not sure how to take that massive insult but... You said you liked Alvarez. I do. I do. And you said I looked like Gary Hart last time. (laughs) Well, uh, I I intimated. I never said it outright because that would just be cruel. So we're here this this time, this week, to discuss Clash of the Champions 2, Miami Mayhem. Yes. Our third podcast. Our third third podcast. Feels like only yesterday we, we, uh, we, we filmed the first one. We recorded the first one. But we're here to discuss, uh, the second Clash of the Champions, yeah. after the wildly successful uh, first one, you can bet your bottom dollar there were going to be more. This took place on June the 8th, 1988. It's four years old at the time. Oh, me too, I think. I would have been five. Yeah. Uh, it take, took place in front of 2,400 fans at the James L. Knight Centre, a place that AEW has run. I found out when I was doing my research for this, so... It's just still a place that's in, in use. And first thing I noticed, the crowd number's not that different from the first show we covered, the Bunkhouse Stampede, but the crowd have energy. The crowd are into the, it. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to be, because the first shot I saw is of a guy in a WrestleMania 3 t-shirt, <laughs> and I was like, oh no, they're in front of a, another crowd that is not of, not of their type of wrestling. It's what, Florida and Dusty, mate. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we'll get to that in the in the main event. Because uh, this is this is the uh, the second class of champions, but the third episode of Turner is. So at some point, I'm probably going to mess that up, and you can feel free to correct me or not. You could be nice or not, but I doubt that. You'll 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 take great joy in. We'll see if I notice. Like, <laughs> some of these shows they do take the toll. So we've got Tony Schiavone on commentary with Bob Cole, yeah. and weirdly, outside the arena to do interviews as people arrive, is Jim Ross. I thought that was a mistake, personally. You, you, you'd think that they would swap those around. Like, Bob Codder would be a great person to just stand outside in the cold. Yeah, it might have been his age, though. He was a bit older than the other two at the point. Although it is, to be sure, it is Miami. Some of you, it's not cold. Yeah. This did do a 4.8 rating on television, so still respectable numbers. Yeah. Not quite what the first clash did, but respectable. And uh, should we get on with our first match? Yes. So, our first match, may I? Yeah, of course. Go, go ahead, The man. US title is on the line with, with Brad Armstrong, one of the famous Armstrong family. Yep. Going up against Barry Windham, who's the champion. Barry Windham, who's recently turned on all the fans yes. and joined the Four Horsemen. He turned on April 20th. Um, he was constantly being told by JJ that at some point Lex Luger will not be there for you. And the horseman will be. And it was weird because it was in a match against the horseman that the horseman beat the heck out of Lex Luger. So Luger was like unable to be on the apron. And then Barry went for a tag. And JJ's like, see, he's not there, I told you. We'll be there for you. And then basically Barry Windham turned there and started beating up Lex Luger, the people's champion. As much as I like Babyface Barry, he'll Barry so much better. It's the glove. It's it's <laughs> it's that it's that blackjack mulligan style yeah. glove. He's, I mean, he uses the the claw hold, which is obviously his dad's 
his dad's hold. Yeah. Well, it's his dad's hold. It's Fritz Van Eric's hold. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of people. But I love the, I love the, the inclusion of that black glove because there's probably nothing to it, but it's a gimmick. It's being able to work that hold, which is nothing. But you can say, oh, that, that glove gives him extra gripping power or that kind of it's thing. It's weird. The last time I saw that glove in use, it was being used by Babyface. Oh. Um, NXT around 2013. Ooh, now, you, now you're asking. Um, the grandson of Blackjack Mulligan, Bo Dallas. Of course. Wears the glove as a homage to his family. Yes. Was he a babyface then? Cause I yeah, he was a babyface. I know he had a big heel one at the end. You know, it was before he won the titles, his baby face run. Yeah, I wouldn't. The, the glove to me is a heel manoeuvre. Yeah, the glove to me, like when you said that, it's like, yeah, you should have worn that as a heel. But obviously, fans today are a lot more smart. Uh, well, well, yeah, we think we are. <laughs> yeah, they read a lot more on the internet about stuff. True, true. Uh, and it's when I, when I was reading on the internet that I came across, like, Brad Armstrong, obviously. Um, like you said, member of the famous Armstrong family. His dad's Bullet Bob Armstrong. Yeah. His brother's with... Um, Scott, Stephen, Brian. Yes. Now, the thing I know Brad for is being a member of the No Limit Soldiers in WCW in the late 90s, early 2000s. Late 90s. Got to be late 90s because they're closing. Only two. Spoilers for much later in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the late, he, he's, the, he's the worker in, in, that, in that squad. <laughs> And also, of course, he was Buzzkill. A parody of Road Dog. Road Dog, who's his brother. Yeah. So I think he's a really good wrestler. He is. I think he's very smooth. I don't think he... I can't think of anything that he messes up. No. It's essentially like the sons of Bob got the different attributes. You've got Road Dog, who's the talker. Yeah. Then you've got Brad, who's the worker. Steve, I'm not sure on... I'm not sure I've seen I know Scott got Bob's face, which was unfortunate. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, just hope, hope none of them hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott, that you got your father's face. <laughs> That's not quite the apology I was expecting, Dave, but okay. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a famous family. You'd think he'd get... What I mean by that is you'd think he'd get further than he does. Yeah. Especially with actually being good in the ring. But yeah, this is this is a, a showcase for... for I am a heel, Barry Windham. Yeah. This is, look who's here, it's JJ. And to be fair, the horsemen do make a good case. You know, he, he ditches Luger and he's immediately, the next time we see him, he's US champion. Now, obviously there's been time between now and then. I think this completes my favourite horseman lineup. Tully, Arn, Barry Windham, and Ric Flair. Who, who's your favourite horseman? Well... I've played the game Total Extreme Warfare, as yep, I'm sure he's mentioned on Ministry of Slam. Ministry of Slam, yes. And in that, I have a horseman lineup, and it's Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham. That's the horseman for <laughs> yeah. you. It's not that you're going to put um, Paul Roma. Yeah, pretty Paul Roma in there. <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> yes, we will. Right, this match. Should we go into it? Yeah. So, a decent match. I felt the camera work let down the entire show, to be fair. It's a lot of shots of the crowd when there doesn't need to be. I I find that they they kind of try and do that a lot 
in they tried to do that a lot in Bunkhouse as well. That f- mm. the first show we saw those. So look how great the crowd are reacting. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, but you've just missed, missed the spot. Yeah, you've because missed of that. You've missed half the match. Yeah, but good match. There's a nice spot where um, Barry, being a horseman, locks on the figure four leg lock Woo. to show that he's with Rick and the horse. And cheats, constantly having JJ pulling his arms to get the extra yeah. momentum. And eventually gets caught out when instead of doing that, he goes to the ropes and the ref sees it. Yeah, he is, he is, it is literally, I am a heel, boo me now, and he's great at it. Yeah. And this, this show is, is very, very strange. When you compare it to the first clash, which felt like a super card. Yeah. I mean, the, the matches in the first clash were quick. But it felt like you know there was a US title match. There was a there was a US tag team title match. Yeah. There was a um, the TV title in the first show. Yeah. Um, world tag title and the world title. Yeah. We only we get we still get three titles of matches this show. Doesn't feel as big. No. Nah. Immediately, is a big step down from the first class of champions. I think anyway. It's an opening match. It serves its purpose yeah. to put over Barry Windham as a heel. Barry wins after using the claw because we talked about this. Uh, reverses a body press off the body press yeah, down off the top. A couple of beautiful for high cross bodies yeah. off the top, and I thought it was brilliant because it literally goes from the high cross body, which is a one. I, I thought this is where the baby face was going to get some some shine. Yeah, uh, and he hits one high cross body and he goes up for a second one and he hits that and as he hits the high cross body, Barry rolls with it. And as Barry ends up on top, he's already in the claw hold. Yeah. It's a smooth motion, but it, it just cuts off any hope the babyface has. You get the impression the moment that it hold is on, it is over. Doesn't submit the babyface, though. Gets the pin from it. Yep. Which is a positive, because uh, it means the babyface still has a, I got pinned by the move, but I wouldn't give up. Yeah. I suppose the claw hold, people don't give up, they pass out. Yeah. You cut off blood to the brain. But a decent enough match overall. It was decent. I mean, there's not a lot you can say about it, weirdly, yeah. because I've tried to put Armstrong over a bit here, yeah. but he's he's a bit bland. He's a good wrestler, yeah. but he's bland as a character. His charisma's not that of his brother. Yeah, uh, exactly. Whereas Brian's work isn't that of Brad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, you, if you put Brad's work... <laughs> With Brian's personality, you'd have one of the top guys in the in the business. Yeah, but it's just not. But like you said, they all got attributes of their father. Yeah. But the less said about what you said, the better. <laughs> well, Scott is a great referee these days. I just don't want to get my ass kicked. <laughs> so we move on from that into an interview segment. Yes. With the Rock and Roll Express, where yeah. Robert Gibson, halfway to the being interviewed by Bob Cuddle, trips. Yeah, just just. Nearly, if he wasn't, but if he hadn't have been by the by the guardrail, he, he would have gone face first. But also, he wouldn't have tripped. No, nah. he tripped over a wire or uh, the mat. I oh, was it the mat? From what I saw, it was over a wire or like where the mat connects. Did they have mat actually? I'm not sure. They did. No, it might not be mat. Then it might have just been a wire, or it could have been one of the legs from the yeah. the guardrail. Was what I thought it is. Ah, yeah. One of the like struts but, to keep it standing up. He goes. He yeah. thankfully holds himself up. He keeps himself, but it, it sort of they are sort of re-debuting tonight. As we said with the first episode, they they left the company uh, around Bunkhouse, mm. and this was them returning to say, 
yeah, we're back. And the crowd were into them, but I wasn't really a big fan of this interview. Um, Robert in particular just sounded like he was bored. Like he was trying to like he was trying to order order something from like a, a DIY warehouse or something. So, oh, yeah, if you just get me some paint, I'd do. yeah, <laughs> no emotion. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're coming for titles and we're rock and roll is king. And my comments here, rock and roll interviews saying they're back. Nothing special. No, nothing. <laughs> it's it's um it's going to sound real bad. I've not seen a lot of the Rock and Roll Express, but from what I've seen so far, I'm sort of wondering what the big deal is. They'll get some good matches. They'll have good matches with the Midnight's again, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure you and I could have good matches with the Midnight Express. <laughs> Bobby Eaton is that good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's to reignite that feud and other feuds. That yeah. I understand why they're back. They're obviously a big name, so why not get them back? It makes your company look like it's doing better than it may well be doing. And it does mean that instead of having... The Midnight Express versus the Fantastics, the Sheep Herders versus the Fantastics, Arn and Tully versus the Fantastics. You can mix it up with the Rock and Roll Express versus the Fantastics <laughs> versus the aforementioned teams. Yeah, I mean, you and just... although their styles aren't dissimilar, it's still a different team. In yeah, reality, it's not seeing the same thing over and over. And also, like you know, Sting was teaming with various people before this. Yeah, and uh, maybe after after the last clash, they're thinking. No, he needs to be more of a single guy. You've just split Barry and Lex off. So maybe they are hurting for babyface teams. We move on to another segment here rather than a match. We have the signing for the Great American Bash. Yeah, I want to talk about this. This is a, takes place on a yacht. Yeah, and the Blackhawk. And the opening of this, this, this thing, it's not like they're leading up to a wrestling segment. It's like, I want to sell this yacht. So here's how impressive this yacht is. This yacht will be available. For, it really seems like they're trying to sell it. It's a very nice yacht. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. <laughs> like, and like you know, I'm pretty sure a former president stayed on it and stuff like that. And Frank mm-hmm. Sinatra was another name they dropped. It sort of they pushed it that hard to me. It came across as corny. It's like you guys shouldn't be impressed that Frank Sinatra stayed in this yacht. I get that you want us to be impressed, but like you know, Jim Crockett Promotions should be used to having the most impressive things for its contract signing and. They cut in, and you've got Jim Crockett in the middle. Yeah. You've got Ric Flair, and you've got Lex. And they have a contract on him. The horsemen surrounding Rick. Yeah. Including the recently turned heel Barry Windham. Yeah. All dressed fairly smartly. And then Lex Luger. And then Lex Luger. Uh, there is nothing about this segment that... I, I, was, I was like, surely... Surely someone's ending up in the drink. Why are they on a yacht? I did like it because they took it seriously. Yeah, it was like a bo- it was like a boxing contract fine. You know, there wasn't somebody didn't bring out a birthday cake. No, he went for a table. But maybe that's just my modern sensibilities. I expected someone to end up in the water or a proper fight to break out or yeah something, but nothing really happened. And then when it didn't, um, I I mean, who knows? We just talked about how how apparently impressive this boat is. Maybe they told you, yeah, you can film on here, but don't even think about breaking anything or bleeding anywhere. So they were like, okay. But contract signed. Personally, I think potentially they should have had Sting or Dusty at the signing as well. Not so much for the name pad, just to even add the numbers of heels and faces. You don't want to do that, though. You want it to be like, look at this lone man, yeah. this lone warrior against 
this group of gits. With his support of the boss of the company and Tony Schiavone. <laughs> hey, you leave Tony alone, man. Tony could take Tony, Tony no problem. But nothing... Nothing really happens to really. We then move on to... Right. I've, yeah, we've got to move on to another segment. Uh, I've got this right this time. Yeah. Because it gets a bit weird later on with the, where the segments fall. So this is the horseman arriving by limousine. The remaining horseman. Yeah. Barry Windham's already, already there. there. And JJ Dillon is already there. So this is Arn Tully and Rick arriving in a limousine. I do love the way that Rick Flair calls him Jimbo. Yeah. All, everybody's dressed in tux- tuxedos, which I thought was a bit weird considering yeah, not, two of them are wrestling tonight. You're not coming to the Academy Awards, lads. Yeah. You're coming to wrestle. I'm not expecting you to turn up in, like, you know, <laughs> but, you know maybe, a, maybe a nice polo shirt. You can just put, like, tuxedos. But we'll talk more about tuxedos in a very short while because they're not the only ones wearing them. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing major said here. Ric Flair says he's going to win the match. And, and, Lu- and Luke has got to make it. Yeah, to the clash. I mean, he said that in the in the signing as well. So I was like, they want you to remember that. But we move on to the US tag title match, or the opening for the US tag title match. Yes. So we've got the two teams in the ring, which are the Sheep Herders, who you may know better as the Bushwhackers. With Rip Morgan, who's a giant. The guy's huge. Who's And then we've got. The Fantastics, who are now champions, they must have, they must have beaten the, the rock and roll. Midnight. Oh, yeah. Midnight, Midnight Express during... I'll, I'll probably do that a few the, times in this podcast. Yeah. So, uh, there are a lot of Express teams. Yes. Right, we've got the Thunder Express still to come and various of us. So the Rainbow Express, <laughs> the Backstage Express. So I'm just naming like <laughs> indie stuff. from. Yeah. So before the match can start, though, we're called back to Jim Ross for the arrival of Lex Luger. Lex Luger's limousine pulls up, he gets out, and is immediately attacked by the horseman. It's a pretty good beatdown. Yeah. This is the first time, Luger ends up bleeding, and this is the first time he would have bled in the NWA. So they, they want it to be serious. Yeah, it, it's a good beatdown. I personally would have liked it to come after the match. Yeah, it, <laughs> I, I get what they're going for. They're going for chaos, so you never know what's going to happen. Anything can happen in yeah. Jim Crockett promotions. <laughs> I, I get where they're going with it. It's basically that, and then back to the match where they're going to discuss what's happened to Luger. Yeah, it's like the match, the match kind of gets short shrift for a bit. Yeah. Into the match. The sheep herders are great. Yeah. And I'll never understand how Vince could have looked at them and gone, okay, lovable baby faces. <laughs> and you know what? They must have had a blast as the bushwhackers because it must have been the easiest work they'd ever done for the most money because these guys I've always I mean I'm not going to lie I've never been the biggest Bushwhackers fan because I've always thought a bit lazy didn't do much well here they they work hard it's it looks snug it looks like it hurts Uh, it's not very pretty it's not pretty there's a crucifix attempt a crucifix pin attempt quite early on with uh, Tommy Rogers on Butch I believe and Butchie's a bit too short to do the flop right, and it just looks awkward. But yeah. they don't let the whole match. They get back into the action and just carry on fighting. Um, there is an illegal tag, which is where Luke is underneath 
the top rope and reaches through for a tag and Teddy Long goes no that's not how Good tags are done. I wish to do that these days we could do yeah um, we <laughs> basically get the Sheep Herders version of the Midnight Express match we had last time where Tommy Rogers is in the ring getting beaten on for most of the match yeah. and then Bobby Fulton gets the hot tag personally for just pure like beating people up I think the sheep herders look better than the Midnights. Yeah. The Midnights are flashy, they're cocky, they're wrestlers. Yeah, this look was... At, look at Butch, look like they'd like to eat your face. This was a lot of throwing him out the ring to double-team him and do nasty things. Yeah. While Bobby Fulton's held back by Teddy Long. Teddy Long with that bit of hair still at the back. Yeah. That's uh, why I shave my head, because I don't <laughs> want to have that bit of hair at the back, because it's all that would grow. Oh, don't worry, mate. All mine's going at the front, so... <laughs> Yeah. Tell you what, I'll donate mine if you... <laughs> we get the hot tag for Bobby Fulton. He comes in and gets a roll-up pin, which they do try and break up, but the three hits and before then, the foot... And then the foot which, comes in. Yeah. You don't see that very often. No. I think with WWE and modern wrestling, we'll go with modern wrestling in general. Yeah. As soon as someone's in the ring, it's generally the, yeah, bra- the as soon as the, they touch them. Oh, it's gonna be broken up. It's like yeah. There's a couple of Bret Hart matches in the in the eighties where he gets like kicked to the head and just doesn't get off the pin. It's yeah. great. It's so awesome. It looks like somebody legitimately kicks him as hard as they can. He's like, no, this is still my pin. Yeah. Um. Personally, I'd like to see it a bit more, but I, I get why not because in order for that to look good, you've really got to actually kick someone. Yeah. <laughs> the sheep herders actually kick people, <laughs> but yeah, it's such a it's such a bizarre thing to see a sheep herders match where it's just like, wow, these guys hurt people. Like they remind me of a team like the Nasty Boys. Yes, I see. You, you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> and then but then the other like literally half my brain is just going, whoa, <laughs> yeah, seeing the what two middle-aged them? gentlemen licking children's heads. Yeah, while they're beating them. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, it's, it's it's really weird. Um, it must have been really weird for those people who went from the sheep herders and had yeah. kids, and then they went to watch a WWF show and saw that. Yeah, it's just got rid of that guy. Yeah, that guy's a psychopath. I've seen him <laughs> stick a fork in someone's head before now, and yeah. stand up and just like, no, no, he's hugging the children. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but fair play to them. They, like I said, they looked like they've been working hard. So, if you want to go off and do some comedy and make some money, fair play. It's really made me think differently about them because I've always been like, God, the bushwhackers in 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 the company where you know they've got the, at the time the, the WWF have a really good tag division. Yeah, well, the eighties in general had amazing tag wrestlers mm-hmm. throughout. So it's part of what I've loved about doing this is just kind of looking at the Jim Crockett wrestlers who tag and going like well yeah like, I'm having a look at their histories like, oh they thought so and so oh I've seen them yeah it's fun like, yeah and WWF were no different like their tag division was never as focused on as it should have been but it was still a good tag division yeah yeah I, like, it, it wasn't just appreciate- two guys who have been shoved together because they will keep them but they've got nothing for, for them really like Bobby Roode and um, Dolph Ziggler at the moment yeah they well, probably work really well as a team. I've not watched, but the Dirty Dogs. The the, the, oh, the name's terrible. Well, yeah, uh, but but yeah, I'm, they don't look like they should be a tag team in no. any way, shape, or form. 
but you know each to their own yeah it's just it's just really like I said it's just very strange um, Rick Morgan like you said is huge yeah and all you do is you stand there and wave a flag and then when they get thrown outside beat yeah you know who one of their other regular flag wavers was yeah John Laurinaitis Johnny Ace eh yep oh good old Johnny Ace yeah. uh, we'll see him at some point I'm sure there's not a massive number of wrestlers from New Zealand, though. Like, no. You've got the Sheep Herders, you've got Rick Morgan, and then you've got Tony Gurria, and uh, is that I it? I think that's it until you get to, like... I think that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, a wild brawl, a nigh-on endless beatdown, but it's the kind of beatdown where you're like, okay, this is going somewhere. A lot of beatdowns, you just kind of, like, get on with it, make the tag. Yeah. But to me, if I hadn't seen the Bushwhackers that beatdown would have been more boring. But because I've seen that, you're just like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. Why, why are these nice people doing this? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's great. So, the the end of the match comes when... There's a, pit, a roll-up in. Yeah, for the Fantastics. Yeah, Fantastics retain their titles. Nothing overly extravagant again. No, it, like I said, it... it it's good, but yeah. it's just sort of workmanlike. Yeah, but it's middle of the card. So you don't want to burn people out before your main event. True. We move on then. Yeah, I think we've said what we're going to say about that. Yeah, so we move on now. Before the next match, there is an interview with the man who's going to be doing guest commentary. It's our old friend, Dr. F. Steve Williams. <sighs> this time, dressed in a white tuxedo with a red bow tie. Yeah, he looked... Um, <laughs> Do you know? Do you know what he reminded? You know who he reminded me of? Did you ever see? Was it SummerSlam ninety or was it ninety one? Would have been. Might have been ninety one. Which was the Which was the event where Jim Duggan turned up as uh, Uncle Sam? Uh, that ain't ninety because ninety is teaming with um, Nikolai Volkov, so it would have been ninety one. Yeah, whenever the whenever they're doing yeah, the, whenever they're doing the Iraqi sympathizer angle, that's through ninety ninety. That's the beginning. That's the first time um, Slaughter turns up. Or maybe, maybe uh, did it, did it, it might not be show. It might not be be summertime. I can't remember. Yeah. But he reminds me of that because he just looks like you shouldn't be wearing a tux. You are massive. <laughs> you look like you don't belong. <laughs> exactly my fault. And doing another interview because that's, we, that's we covered his, this last time. That's been his strong point so far. <laughs> I really like Doctor Death. Yeah, but they are chipping away at everything I like uh, because not only does he do an interview where he, he sort of expresses his fondness for Lex Luger and he says you know Luger's like a real man he'll be back and but he's, again he's not comfortable on the mic so he yeah. stumbles and and he's going to be on the mic for the rest of the match yeah <laughs> and you're just like great and he tries oh. <laughs> that's the worst thing about it yeah I'm, I don't mean worse as in like how dare he I mean like if he wasn't trying you'd be like alright he's stinking the place up yeah. but he's really going for it because right now he's he is um, he is working on a TV show it's a sitcom it's about a teacher turned to a wrestler I think it's called Learning the Ropes and he is the the teacher character ends up in a mask to be a wrestler and Doctor Death is the rest is is the guy doing the wrestling stuff, so maybe he's not as focused on in ring stuff. Hmm. I think it's called learning the ropes. So 
he sits down in the commentary. He only sits with is it Bob or Tony? The, the other one takes a break. I think it's Bob. Yeah. But it's this is this is how big an impact it makes. You after this point, you kind of I I tune the commentary out. Yeah, if JR had been on there, it might have been a different story. But well, he, I, I think he'd be more comfortable with JR. They're good friends. Yeah. So we've got that. I suppose it could have been worse. You could have been asking what that guy weighed and stuff. Um, like Art Donovan but like he's just bad and we said we'd cover this in the next show so the match is the Varsity Club which is Rick Steiner and IRS IRS Mike Rotunda Mike Rotunda with Kevin Sullivan who is amazingly locked in a cage for the yes they got to get the money out of this cage and if they rented it bought it on the instalment plan or what yeah They're, they're getting their money's worth for this cage again though he looks like Man who like goes to satanic rituals on the weekend while yeah. they look like sports stars. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. It's still a strange gimmick. Uh, and their opponents are the Garvins, the who Gar- are presented as brothers, who have been presented as brothers. Now, their relationship isn't brother. No. Ron- Ronnie Garvin... Yes. ...is... Yeah, you've got his right ...is the stepfather... Yeah. ...of... Jimmy. Jimmy Garvin. Yeah. <laughs> See, I almost said, any time I think Garvin, I think Ronnie Garvin. Even if I just said Ronnie Garvin. Yeah. So if I, every time, every time we mention Ronnie, um, Jimmy Garvin, I will, I will stumble because I will think Ronnie Garvin first. So, so they're out with Precious. And in this match, Precious has the key to the cage. This obviously took place when they were focusing on the crowd for some reason mm-hmm. and isn't mentioned until quite late on the precious has the key to the cage and yeah when i was there like she's got something in her hand and then i clicked where it was i was like why haven't i mentioned this so like, it's this, clearly a plot point that's the thing this this match isn't really a match yeah. it's an angle it's a long angle so so the whole match, Kevin Sullivan. We've got something before we get there. Okay. Ooh. Before they actually start the match, they're both the all team, both teams are in the ring. This was might be where it actually happened. Then Kevin getting locked in the cage. There's they go back to Jr. for a recap on what's happened to Lex Luger. Now this I thought was really badly placed. Yeah. Because it's not like you've. This is where they could be telling us why Precious has been given the key. Yeah. Because Kevin Sullivan obviously attacked her at the last show. It was a big thing. Yeah. She's now defending herself by locking him in a cage. So, yeah. So they have this recap of what happened to Lex, then they go to break, and then they start the match. And I felt like, could that re- recap really not have waited until... The end of the, the show? At the end of the show, we do actually get another recap on what happened to Lex anyway. Exactly. Yeah. But I thought that was really misplaced. Well, yeah. I, Especially two matches in a row, cutting like that at the beginning. Yeah. Felt really poorly timed to me, but I'm not a director. What do I know? I, I, I agree with you, though. It does ha- it hampers the, the matches because you're in there, you're ready, and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, we saw this. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, this match, I don't remember much that happened in the match. No, because the match is just like... A lot of it is spent focusing on Kevin Sullivan with a bit of paper and an envelope in his hand. Yeah. Going, come on, Precious, come for the cage. Let me out and I'll show you what's in the envelope. Yes. Because <laughs> he can be trusted. Mm. He's proved he can be trusted. 
Oh, God. Yeah, it's a very strange one. Every so often, Jimmy makes his way around there, smacks the cage to... Yeah. And, like I say, we've got the commentary of Dr. Death. (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Which is just awful. Yeah. So, this match is not good. No, it could be good. Yeah. You have... Like, I was thinking about this. The Varsity Club, the two members we've got this time in the ring, Rick Steiner and Mike Redondo, both their kids... A for a future NXT champions at this point. Yep. But one of their kids is a future world champion already. Already gone. He's been world champion. Yep. And the other one looks like he's going that way. Most definitely. Yeah. So like, we talked a bit about pedigree with Barry Windham. Yeah. De- yeah. And this. I mean, to be to be honest, like it's the same family. Yeah. With Rotunda's married to Barry Windham's sister. Yeah. So it's the 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 Wyndhams, the Rotundas. Yeah, that's why that's why that's why Bray Wyatt has the connection to yeah. his um, real name being Wyndham Rotunda. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Steiners. I mean, if you take a look at uh, Bron Breaker, I can I can no longer remember his real name. So WWE have succeeded. Is he Rex? Is he Rex? Steiner? No, that that was that was the. Or is it that is over the, that is over the gimmick name they were thought about giving him? Yeah. Or that's his real name. But anyway, WWE have successfully wiped that from my mind because I did know that. But he's he's also an animal. So like you think about that, you you've got a great team there. You've got the Garvins who, like, they're over. You say that for them. You see, your thing with the Bushwhackers, that thing is for me for Ronnie Garvin. I saw Ronnie Garvin. Um, one of the first pay per views I owned was SummerSlam '89, where he's doing a the funny ring announcer, the ring announcer, funny spot. And then him wrestling after that as the Survivor Series 89, he's not very good. But <laughs> look, going back and watching some of the stuff here, it's not, it's not bad. It's not, no. It's basically the WWF has just sapped the world from him, I think. No, it, the world, he's a wrestler. Yeah. That's his gimmick. It's like uh, it's like Greg Valentine. Yeah. He's a wrestler. So like, you put them in the cartoon world of the WWF and they don't have anything. You know, we'll call you the hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yes, but that's not really working. So we'll dress you up like Elvis, and you can go along on the team with the Hunger Dunk Man. Yeah, this should be a good match, but every couple of minutes you you keep cutting to either precious or Kevin Sullivan or back between them. (laughs) Yeah, and what's going on? What? What? Why? What's going on? Why? And that's all the that's all the uh, commentators are really talking about. Yeah. So. In reality, you're just waiting for the match to end because you know it's going to end in a big angle. <laughs> so, match ended. I can't even remember who won. This is really bad. No, me neither. I think it was probably the Varsity Club as Jimmy Garvin went round to help Precious, did he? Or got distracted yes. when Precious yes. left Kevin Sullivan out of the cage. Yes. It wasn't a give me the thing. She gave, gave him the key in return for the paper. He opened the cage and grabbed us straight away. Yeah. It's it's very strange. <laughs> which led to the next part of the angle, which was Steve Williams finally doing something suited <laughs> to Steve Williams and attacking Kevin Sullivan and the Varsity Club. Every time you say Steve Williams it makes me laugh a little well, it makes me think a little bit. Because you know the you know the you know the Steve Williams story, yeah? Uh, Steve Williams turns up to uh, to wrestle his first match. <laughs> What's your name? Steve Williams. You can't be Steve Williams. We've already got a Steve Williams. Come and come up with a name. 
two hours goes by. I can't come up with a name. All right, then you're Steve Austin. Off you go. <laughs> and that's how Steve Austin ended up with his name. But the thing that really makes me laugh is Steve Austin is the six million dollar man. <laughs> like, like that's also a very famous name at the time. Uh, but yeah, like every time you say Steve Williams, I'm like that could have been Steve Austin. Yeah. I just I remember watching wrestling towards 2000 when I got back into it, 99, 2000, and Steve Austin being on the camera and my parents coming in and being, oh who's that? Oh it's Steve Austin. What the six million dollar man? It's just kind of like. You should have you should have uh, seen my aunt's face when I made a what made away an entire WCW show to see Sting. <laughs> she was like, "That's not Sting. It is though. That's exactly what Sting looks like." <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't realise. I was like, "Do you mean that guy?" She's like, "No." <laughs> so uh, yeah, just just makes me laugh when you say Steve Williams. I automatically think of Steve Austin just being there, like that's my name. <laughs> so he gets involved in this scuffle. Saves Precious from Kevin Sullivan and the Varsity Club. Yeah. They disappear. He carries Precious into the ring. Precious looks uncomfortable in his arms, to be fair. Yeah. She gets out of his arms. Jimmy goes up to her. Jimmy Garvin goes up to her to hug her to make sure she's all right. And she pushes Jimmy away and walks off. Yeah. This is going to be exciting now. What's going to happen between Precious and Jimmy? Yeah. I'd just like to point out they are still married to this day. Oh, they actually um, work with charity as well. I was reading up, so like, fair play to them. Thumbs up to yeah, exactly the Garvins there. So yeah, that match is it's really weird because you can tell they're trying to do a big storyline, but obviously I don't know where it goes. It is intriguing, and then we get to is this the part with the Doomsday Cage? Uh, we've got the announcement of. A couple of bits here. So, yeah, we've got um, a scaffold match is announced. Oh, this is the scaffold. This is the scaffold match. Between the Road Warriors and the Powers of Pain. And the Powers of Pain go, no, forget that. I'm not falling off this cage. I'm going to WWF. <laughs> so that's what got they, 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 That does not happen. That does not happen. We also have the announcement as well, or more explained about a match that has been announced. The Tower of Doom. The Tower of Doom. Which, again, they're giving Precious the key to the Tower of Doom. And here's the thing about the Tower of Doom. With the re- I thought it was ridiculous. Mm. Like, this entire presentation for this company is about the sport of pro wrestling. About they have the greatest athletes, the greatest... And then they bring up the, the, original, the original blueprints to the Tower of Doom from <laughs> some ancient Looks civilization. Like an Incan temple. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if you know this, but the reason they probably did that and bought out the original blueprints for the Tower of Doom is this match originated in World Class Championship Wrestling. So they want to lay claim to, like, no, we've got the... Ours is better. But I just thought it was very cartoony. Yeah. And, like I say, they talk about this match where they go start off in the top of the cages. Cages, yes, plural. Cages. Three cages stacked on top of each other. And work their way through, and then the only way to get out is through the door, by, or to win is to through the door, escape, and Precious, the girl who had the key for the cage for this thing, has the key again. Yeah. Why do they keep on giving this girl a key? What's well, wrong with well, these people? Well, she just proves she's, she'll, she'll, let, she'll let Taskmaster out then. It seems like an obvious kind of 
That's probably why they did this entire angle to put doubt on. You know, uh, maybe they can win. Maybe they can convince mm-hmm. us to let her out. In which case, maybe Kevin Sullivan shouldn't have just grabbed her the moment he left. But yeah, I thought I found the the original blueprints and that to be really cartoony. Uh, I thought it was very. I thought it was more WWF than 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 NWA. It really. Uh, it feels to me like stuff that we will see later. Oh, 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 a lot of <laughs> I've yeah I've seen um I've seen the the Tower of Doom um that's coming up I don't think I've seen that I think I've seen later on when they d- did it with Hogan oh no that's the triple that's the triple cage from uh, Ready to Rumble that is oh no it's not no they did the Tower of Doom um, him versus the Horseman and well Rick him, Flair and him and Macho Man versus the Alliance to end Hulkamania yeah. Yeah, it's goddamn awful. Yes, well, <laughs> but we'll get there. Well, well. Look, look forward to seeing that in uh, <laughs> in a few. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> there's a lot of bad to come, but there's a lot of good as well. Leave that out, man. I want people to keep listening to this. <laughs> It'll be entertaining either way. <laughs> right, so we move on from them having the chat about the Tower of Doom to another match. Yeah, it's about time. Feels like it's been a while since we had an actual match. We have Al Perez. Yeah. With the very sexy Gary Hart. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to look I like him, I he's going to... I say you look like Gary Hart once. Why? <laughs> and now all of a sudden he's very sexy. <laughs> to where he's not got the beard at the moment, he's just got the moustache. So he looks nothing like you. He looks about 80% <laughs> like you after 100% like you. Yeah. Okay. And he's against Nikita Koloff, whose flat top is coming in on nicely. I'm telling you, man, <laughs> if he does a sonic boom, I'm going to I'm gonna pop. I thought this was okay. Yeah. Um, but it really showed, like, um, like I said, I thought Alperez was a decent talker. We saw we saw him talk at Clash One, but I don't think his wrestling holds up. There was one spot that caught my eye in the whole match. Uh, it comes quite late in the match as well. Um, Nikita goes for a sunset flip, and rather than reversing it with the punch to the head or anything. Al Perez keeps on backing up until he hits the ropes. Yeah. And I thought, that's a that's, novel way. That's either genius or you, you couldn't <laughs> keep really. balance. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't decide when I saw that. Yeah, it was novel, it was something different for once. Yeah, I, did, I actually liked it, but I couldn't decide if it was on purpose or not. But this this match is, again, I mean, we've had, a, we've had one of these already, but it's another kind of brawling kind of... Yeah, they're both... Fairly big guys. Like. Yeah. The more I'm seeing Nikita now, the more I want to. Uh, I'm wondering, like, have we missed his peak? You yeah. know, because like he's he's over, but he's not as featured as I expected. I really thought we tuned in just in time for his big babyface run. I think that came essentially the year before, because the year before, him and Dusty won the Crockett Cup. Oh, the together. superpowers, yeah. Yeah, I he think men- that's... He mentioned that in the last in his interview, he mentioned his superpowers, his superpowers partner. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, because I think he's good, but I think the company are winding down on him. The match ends... I can't say much about what happened in the matches. Uh, no, it's a brawl. It's a brawl. It's, um, match ends with a DQ when Larry Zabisco comes in and attacks... Yeah, and the key. Now this is a mistake. This DQ is a mistake. Um, I think you've this by this point, the show has um, you know it's had its it's had its ups and downs, but you've just had an angle ending. You're having a DQ ending. 
of a match that I suppose was it has been hyped. It was hyped at the first clash, but I think ending it in a DQ, especially with what comes later, yeah, is not a great idea. And having yet another aftermath, yeah, with a three-on-one attack, yeah. So and no save either. No, nobody cares about Nikita. <laughs> That's a pretty, and, he, and his famous tag partner is coming up next. So, so yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad that you, like you can't really say much. Like you, like you said, that that sunset flip spot is probably the spot of the match. <laughs> and as I said, I couldn't tell if it was intentional or not. So we move on. So move on to the main event. Main event of the evening: World Tag Team Titles on the line. Yes, the greatest tag team of all time, Arn and Tully <laughs> versus Sting and Dusty. Now, oh. I'm a, I've made a note here straight away. Before I, I, I don't remember if I've seen this match before or not. I made a note and went, I'm expecting a dusty finish. <laughs> right. Well, it woke up the crowd for one thing. Here's the thing. Dusty Rhodes comes out and he, he makes a blind man see. He feeds 5,000 people <laughs> with like one loaf and one fish. And like he walks on water to get to the ring. And, you know, he, he I'm pretty sure like a load of... He like that's how they react to him. They react to him like he's a miracle worker, like he is the Messiah of pro wrestling. Like I know, I know he was big in Florida, but like, and this crowd haven't been quite. I when I, when I when I first saw them, I was like I said, oh god, this is not the right crowd for them. Yeah. But that the sustained emotion for Dusty Rhodes in this is like, all right, Dusty, this time. I get why you're in the main uh, because anybody else in that match it's almost like there's polite applause or polite booing and then when Dusty gets in the place erupts interesting to note though that like Dusty you know we, we just said it Dusty was in a tag team with Nikita yeah and now I said it last I said it last time when we did Clash 1 Sting is on the ascent so who is Who's who's Sting's tag partner? <laughs> the guy doing the booking. Hey, fair play to him if he if he can spot a star. I mean, to be fair, he's probably doing Sting a favour here. If if his star power in Florida rubs off even a tiny bit on Sting, it's going to work wonders for the kid. So we go into the match. Um, what have I got here? Then Sting starts off with Arn and he's controlling Arn. It's the same as he did with Rick in the last match yep. he had, we saw. Anyway, not the last match he had, because yeah. they wrestled so much, didn't they? And then Tully gets tagged in, and Sting does the same. Sting then makes a tag, not a hot tag, just a normal just tag. Just a normal tag. To Dusty, and the roof comes off the place yeah. again. Like It's just like, it reminds me of going to social club wrestling when there was that's one star when there's one yeah when you go to like a town hall and there's a bunch of nobodies and like earthquake would be there yeah and it'd be like everyone would be quiet for everything apart from that if earthquake like not even someone who was on TV at the time the weird one is last time I really experienced that was with Ted DiBiase Ultimo Dragon was on that same card Ooh. and the pub for Ultimo was nowhere near the one for DiBiase oh and DBS came out just to talk to the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it, it was good though that Juventus was also on the card though so oh well he, he, <laughs> did, he, did he dedicate the segment to his good friend Eddie Guerrero he did indeed yes yeah he did that for six months when we watched him he was working for a local promotional man here for, for a good half a year and every match was <laughs> this is for Eddie yeah and it got a bit uncomfortable after a bit to be honest so Hoovy uh, got a Hoovy the juice got to get loose I guess we've got um, this is the Dusty Road show yeah we've got a dusty spot coming up in this match a nice kind of like anything you can do I can do just as well thing yeah. where he puts the figure four on Tully and it takes JJ distracting the referee and Arn coming around and raking him to the eyes to break it yeah nice little spot Dusty knows what he's doing I feel I've been quite harsh on Dusty mm. especially that first show we did uh, Bunkhouse Stampede I was quite harsh on him but he knows what he's doing he is a star there's a um, Dusty gets we'll say well the heels get heat on Dusty for a while at this point there's a table outside the ring like where the commentators are there's actually two tables together the one table gets knocked over when Dusty gets thrown out of the ring yep. JJ Dillon puts it back in place and me being a modern wrestling fan my brain goes oh that's in for a spot later yep. it isn't JJ's just tied in <laughs> Yeah, JJ Dillon's secret secret nice person. <laughs> JJ doesn't want to trip over the table as he's walking around, more than likely. But but you are right. It is a Chekhov scum. Yeah, you, you were showing the table. You expect someone to go through it. It's like when they the Money in the Bank ladder match where they prop up the ladder outside the ring. Yeah, and then it's twenty like, minutes later, someone might go through it. Yeah, it's always going to happen. <laughs> well, anyway, so Dusty being beaten down. Dusty actually makes his own comeback a bit here. yeah of course and then tags in Sting Sting does some high impact moves Arn and Tully get control again by cheating and being Arn and Tully and then they start getting the heat on Sting which is what which to be fair is what what should have been done yeah. in the first place and I made a note not to brag on them again but Arn and Tully are one of my favourite teams and what they were yep. doing here proves how good they were and why they were one of my favourite teams of all time they're great yeah it, isolate a body part work it if you've not seen Arn and Tully and you like modern wrestling and you've watched an FTR match that's what Arn and Tully were yeah. back in the day what, what back in the day when they would like I don't know if you've have you ever seen Arn have you seen much Arn and Oli no I've not Arn and Oli are vicious mm-hmm. might because uh, Oli's just like Tully if he was just mean it's just like, I'm going to grab your arm and I'm going to twist it until it comes off so I'm not saying they're better they're the Anderson different. family as it goes there's a lot of kind of like in, in kayfabe in kayfabe so you've got Gene Gene and Oli are actual brothers Gene and Oli there's another Anderson though, isn't there, up there with Gene and Oli? I'm not sure. I don't days. know of the other one. Oh, I'm gonna have to look this up one day and come back on come it. Come back then. on this one. But then we come in. Arn comes in. Arn comes in. Rick not, Flair is the cousin of the Andersons. He's the cousin of the Andersons. According to Kayfabe. Um, but Arn, and keep in mind, Arn isn't really related to them. They just yeah. said, "You look a bit like Oli." Yeah. <laughs> Um, later on we've got C.W. Anderson who's not related not to them looks like them yeah that's why he, why he took the gimmick Arn and Oli both have sons who wrestle yeah and then there's a Jason Anderson who's not related to any of them but also looks a bit like Jim Neidhart at one point so wrestled as Neidhart and then of course you know Pamela Anderson <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Sorry. So the Andersons spread out quite a bit now. Yeah. And there are some legitimate heirs to the Anderson It's now. weird, isn't it? It's weird because, like, I'm not even sure. Because if I'm if I'm right, Flair wanted to come in as Rambling Ricky Rhodes. That name rings a bell, so... Rambling Ricky, he wanted to be Dusty. He wanted to be related to Dusty. And they were like, nope. <laughs> you could see it, though. Uh, in terms of... Oh, you could... This is back when he was a big... This is before the plane crash. This yeah. is when he was a big muscle guy. So, yeah, maybe I could have seen it. But, yeah, uh, Flair needs to be Flair. It's, it works. Well, yeah. Um, right. So, well, yeah, so this is pretty good. I mean, yeah. the, the fact of the matter is it works because of Dusty. <laughs> it works because that crowd... Wants to see Dusty. Yeah. Interesting fact here, and I thought I was going to be proven right at this point. Yeah. You come to the end, the hot tag to Dusty, and then there's a bit of a free-for-all. Teddy Long's the referee, gets involved, and Sting throws him out of the way. I thought... That's it. That's Did it. You? No, they carry on. Dusty throws Teddy out of the way. I think, here we go. And no, instead, Barry Windham and Ric Flair come in and attack Dusty and Sting, and Dusty and Sting win by DQ yeah. to save the titles for Arn and Tully. So, so your second big show on TBS, yeah. your last two, two, show, two have been DQ. I get what they're doing. They are making the Horsemen very, very strong. But it does take this show... And turn it into an admittedly good TV show episode. Yeah. It'd be a good episode of Raw. It'd be a good episode of SmackDown. This wasn't like the first Clash, though, was it? It wasn't going up against no. a big show of not, WWF. Not that, I've, not that I've heard of or I'm aware of. But if you're TBS yeah. and you get Clash of the Champions 1 and the second time you try it out, you get this, you're thinking, oh, why didn't I just... Why am I paying them to... Just do another TV episode. Well, like I say, got good ratings. Yep. They carried on with the clashes. So yeah, I mean they must have liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was okay. I thought it was alright. Yeah. I just uh, not a patch on the first clash. No, I, I'm wondering how many of them will be. There's only one last thing to say about the show. At the end of the show, there's another update on Lex Luger. Yeah. Uh, what, what's happening with him? He's what, gone to the hospital. Not a local medical facility. No, he's gone to an actual hospital. Good, good. He, he, he needs it because I don't know if you know, he got beaten beaten up earlier. Yeah, and like I get it because obviously you're building you're building Lex, and as I said to you last time, some of the shine has come off him because of how good Sting is, at least for me. Well, but the way they've done this, they're quite clearly, in my opinion, so they're holding on. They're going to build it. They've got the match with Lex and Rick. They're building towards World Games still though. There's the idea in their heads. Yeah. Whether it happens or not. Sting, Luger, <laughs> Dusty. Dusty, probably Nikita. Yeah, against the horseman. Against the horseman. Potentially with someone on in the ring with Dusty and the other four. Yeah, it'd be JJ right. and then someone else would Yeah. Be. JJ is the final man who is the one who gives up because big guys can't give up. Yeah, true. Submission or surrender. I mean, uh, that's a good idea. I mean, I don't think we ever get there. But no, well, I'm fairly sure that would take place around November time, would it normally? I'm not sure. I don't I actually know it would be. It didn't. For Brawl, wasn't it? it? Was War Games generally later? Yeah, yeah, later, later. But because For Brawl is not the name of a pay per view; it's the name of a clash. Yeah, 
We um, might even be the next clash that we do. And we've we've got certain people leaving the company before the end of the year. Well, I just I just said that you know the power, powers of pain left. Yeah, but I think this is I think this is the last time we'll see them. But as far as I'm aware, they're gone. It's very, and I can't blame them. Very strange because they go into the WWF and they're baby faces to start with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I can't blame them because who who looks at them and the road warriors and goes, well, we're going to chop money off a scaffold. <laughs> and who's going to be the person to tell any of these guys that they've been thrown off a exactly. scaffold? Um, <laughs> this is what the Red Warriors did scaffold matches with the Midnight Express because the Midnight can take the bump without looking too weak because they're being thrown off by massive people. I was going to say, if, 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 you're, if you're that size, you don't take a bump onto your knee like that, you'll, you'll ruin your knee. I mean, Jim Cornette did. Yeah. But I think that this, like I said, this is a decent show. It's a very good episode of TV to set up for the Great American, the Great American Bash 88 but it's the thing is it's not just the Great American Bash 88 in Baltimore it's the Great American Bash tour, tour. at that point yeah. they go all over the country basically doing the same matches over and over again yeah. for different grades I mean we're going to see the, the pay-per-view version of that yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing that one because I think I can't think of anything else to say about this this show you know, the, I, the ending really peed me off. I got it. I understood why. But don't do a DQ in the match before then either. Yeah. He, Give the keeper a win. It's not like it's not like El Perez is doing anything. It felt a lot like, almost like modern wrestling where it's like every match has to have something happen afterwards or yeah. has to have a screw finish. And it's just like, why can't I go pin someone one, two, three for once? So. Yeah. Because it wasn't bad. Not bad. Uh, what's your match of the night? I'm going to have to go with the main event. I, I'd go for the Sheep Herders match. <laughs> just for the bizarreness of it, I think. Uh, and <laughs> your MVP is, is Dusty, just for... Being Dusty. <laughs> just for being Dusty. That crowd lose their, lose their mind, and it's fun. Might have to change my mind here. The opening match was quite good. I might go with MVP yeah. of Barry. Ah. Have a heel. I love Barry. I have a heel every week now, you know. <laughs> oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> You've chosen a face both times. I've got to play the who presented you. So. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, yeah, that was episode three of Turner Years. Clash of the Champions 2, Miami Mayhem. We're back next time with the Great American Bash then. Yes, I believe I believe the next the next show on our docket is the Great American Bash. So I'm looking forward to it, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>